Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I just biked around Lake Michigan. No one cares, Mayor. <laughs> no one. No one cares, Mayor Rom. No yeah. one cares. <laughs> Nearly a thousand miles. Okay. Ah, uh, no, I care. Wait, did anybody ask you about Medicare? <laughs> uh, now, one person. That's because you're so mean. Nobody wanted to go near you. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday, May 4th. Ben, may the 4th be with you. It's brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke, and so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky, Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can, ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky, J O R A V is in victory, S K Y. Did you know that Illinois has an average monthly revenue of over $100 million from recreational cannabis sales? As of 2022, Chicago hosts an impressive 44 cannabis dispensaries. The Windy City is the perfect place for the cannabis convention. June 10th through 11th, it's the Illinois Cannabis Convention, and it's brought to you by NECAN. The convention will be the largest gathering of the existing local medical cannabis industry and those getting into the new adult-use recreational market. The convention will showcase more than 100 companies, brands, and product lines. There's also four full programming tracks running each day for medical, business, cultivation, and social justice, featuring dozens of expert speakers with practical knowledge and advice for attendees of all levels of experience. All are welcome. Go to NECAN.com slash Illinois, N-E-C-A-N-N.com slash Illinois for more information and to register. It is Wednesday, May 4th, and this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling it Blame It on Katanji Wednesday, and here's why. In the face of the Supreme Court ruling outlawing abortion, Republicans are trying to figure out what to do. Okay. All right. Let me back up and correct myself. I will edit myself. Yes, I realize it's not an official ruling yet. I realize it's not an official decision. It's a draft of a decision that was leaked to Politico. When was it, D? Monday? I've lost track of time. Today's Wednesday. Yesterday was Tuesday. Monday. It was leaked Monday. Yes, I think it was leaked while I was bowling. And uh, so Glad it's just <laughs> blown up the political world in the United States. Everything's upside down, right? Topsy-turvy. We were looking at the world one way before this was leaked. We're looking at the world another way after it's leaked. Lord knows how we'll be looking at the world next week because things move really fast in America these days. This is a very powerful uh, impact, obviously. I think it'll be a little longer lasting than most. So the ruling showed, or excuse me, the draft showed uh, that uh, Justice Alito had uh, written an opinion that would completely blow up Roe v. Wade, uh, no provide, the, no uh, federal protection for abortion. So states are left free to outlaw it if they want to. Uh, and states are moving rapidly. It already has pretty much been obliterated at a practical level. Terry Cosgrove has been saying that to you, ladies and gentlemen, for over a year, state by state. They've been whittling away at the rights. So like the Texas law, the Mississippi law, they all pretty much outlaw abortion. You know, they limit it to a time uh, when w most women don't even know, wouldn't, wouldn't even know that they were pregnant. So it's effectively eliminated. It's penalized. It's criminalized in the state of Texas. You could... Uh, sue somebody who helps a woman get an abortion and they're moving. They just don't want to take that final step and uh, start criminalizing it so that women go to jail for it. I know it's like, I'm sure it's a battle. If I was in the anti-abortion movement, 
I was a fly in the wall listening to their debate. You know, they're like, there's like, I'm sure there's a strong drive among some of the real hardcore, really whacked out anti-abortionists to make it a crime. You could throw women into jail. I think that's what they really want. But the others are like, well, no, the PR, the optics, even the hardcore anti-abortion MAGA people know the word optics. Anyway, so it's pretty clear that the votes are there to blow up road. Uh, it's going to be a driving force throughout this uh, campaign, this political year, going into the midterms. Which side are you on in this very important issue? And so Republicans right now aren't quite sure how to play this. And I mean, the reality is that the Republican Party is controlled by MAGA and MAGA is fiercely fiercely uh, anti-abortion, which is so bizarre. I will never tire of saying this because the leader of MAGA is Donald John Trump. And Donald John Trump was not anti-abortion for most of his life. I, I say this all the time on this show. The man bragged about all of his, what, sexual adventures. Go check out some of his old appearances on the Howard Stern show. He bragged about how he ditched the war in Vietnam and uh, was playing around throughout the 60s and the 70s. So it's just really kind of hard for me to imagine that he did not pay for an abortion or have a paramour have an abortion. I, I just have that. I find it really hard to believe. I mean, we'll never know. It's not something we could find for filing, filing a Freedom of Information Act request. But it's so bizarre that Donald Trump, who always brags about being a big playboy, would be the guy who would appoint three anti-abortion judicial activists to the Supreme Court to obliterate this right. And it's also really bizarre that the MAGA that supposedly believes in liberty would be pushing to take away liberty, a fundamental liberty, control over your body. MAGA, who says they don't have to wear masks or take vaccines. Strange, very strange, but that's where they're at. So anyway, that's who drives the Republican Party. But in many states, like Illinois, Republicans are slick, and they realize that they can't be too MAGA-ish on this issue. They have a little, little nuanced on it. This is why they're putting, advancing Richard Irvin. That's why Kenneth Griffin, Kenny G, the guy who finances the Republican Party in the state of Illinois, plucked from nowhere, Aurora, a, a man who was essentially a centrist Democrat and turned him into a MAGA man to run as a Republican against Pritzker. So to go up, the key is that once they get Irvin into that general election against Pritzker, they can sort of play him off like he's neutral. Like he really doesn't have strong opinions on this. And he's just going to say, well, you know, uh, the law is what the law is. That's what they do. Well, the law is what the law is. I can't change it. I got other important things to do. And they hope that's a signal to MAGA that if you push hard for your anti uh, abortion bills, I won't stand in your way while sending a completely contradictory signal to what independent minded suburban voters who hate paying taxes and want to vote Republican, but believe in a right to choose what it's like a real balancing game. So they don't know how to play this issue of row. They don't quite know what to say. Now the hardcore like the Darren Bailey's and the Jesse Sullivan's who are running for Republican uh, in the Republican primary uh, for governor. They're out there. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Good job, Alito. We're with you. Oh, thank goodness. Right? At least they're honest. Then you get to Irvin. How's he going to play it? Is he going to cheer on the decision and say, I really believe that Roe should be obliterated and then pretty much rule out any possibility of getting those swing voters, which is why Kenny G put him up in the first place. You know, or does he say, oh, this is a really dangerous precedent, taking away private privacy rights, trampling on our liberty, which would get MAGA all 
enraged. Jeannie Ives would be on the would be campaigning even stronger than she is against him. She endorsed DB Darren Bailey, and so then he wouldn't win the nomination. So it's a really tough thing to do. So you know. Well, Irvin's been ducking and dodging on this one for a long time, as we know from the great Mike Flannery interview. Remember that, D? Uh, I think the interview is over. The campaign is not over. I don't want to make empty promises to, to the residents of Illinois without identifying what the issues are. Yes, that interview. So anyway, uh, that's Irvin ducking and dodging. So how does he deal with it? He goes, well, I don't want to have any comment uh, until... The uh, the ruling has been finalized. You know, this is just a draft. <laughs> oh, well, that's a good. I could just see the like the brain trust calling Kenny G. Kenny, what do we say? Kenny says, "All right, here's what you're gonna do. Just say you're not gonna have a final comment until the official ruling has been released, which will probably be released before. There's a good chance it'll be released before the actual election day, which is June 28th." But early voting will begin. So a lot of people, some MAGA people may vote for Richard Irvin thinking because his running mate is extremely anti-abortion, that he's anti-abortion. Really slick juggling act that Kenny G's got going here with his puppet, Richard Irvin. Other Republicans are trying to turn the uh, turn attention away from the ruling itself. And so they're concentrating on the leak. Who leaked this document? And it is unprecedented. I believe there's never been an instance before where a Supreme Court draft of a decision of a uh, has been leaked. I don't I believe I read that it's never happened before. Maybe it happened once before. I don't know. But I think this is the first time it's happened. Very, very rare. Put it mildly. So. Those Republicans who want to avoid taking a stand on the actual merits of whether we get rid of Roe or not are concentrating on the leak. That's Mitch McConnell, which is priceless. The only reason we have these three judges up there is because Mitch McConnell completely manipulated the nominating uh, procedure using his power in the Senate. That's how we got Kavanaugh. Uh, That's how we got Gorsuch. Uh, excuse me, and that's how we got um, the Coney Barrett. He manipulated it. Now he's acting like he has nothing to do with it, and he's just like he doesn't really care uh, that the judges ruled against uh, Roe, even though he manipulated the whole process to guarantee that there would be the judges to rule against uh, Roe. So he's con- what's he concentrating on? Who leaked it? This is horrific that this was leaked, a violation of the. Supreme Court, the sanctity of the Supreme Court, what a joke. He made a a joke of the Supreme Court with the nominating process, changing the rules as he went along to guarantee that he controlled it. Now I suddenly worry about the sanctity of the Supreme Court. So anyway, I want to shout out to Frank. Uh, He sent me a link today, uh, about an hour or so before I went on. And uh, I think it was Sean Spicer. Uh, was uh, he's now a newsman, D. Sean Spicer's a newsman. He was the PR guy for Trump. <laughs> oh, my God. I think it was the first press uh, secretary yeah, that Trump had. One. He was terrible. The first one. <laughs> Remember, he got mad. He would always get mad at the reporters. <laughs> Big beefy feller. Got mad at the reporters. And then, he, then he became a, a contestant. People forget this, D. Dancing with the Stars. W- DWTS, of course. Yeah, remember that one? And uh, a tangent with a tangent. First of all, one of the world's worst contestants, just raw dancing skills. I think we'll all agree. Now, I know what you're saying out there, listeners. Ben, who are you to criticize Sean Spicer for his dancing? You got three left feet. It's true. I'm a lousy dancer. And Sean Spicer, I'm going to give you this. You're a better dancer than I am. But that's saying nothing. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) You know, that's like saying you're a better tennis player than me. I don't even know how to do a backhand. Terrible dancer. Absolutely terrible dancer. And when he began, 
when he began uh, the uh, the competition, he said, "I I want to have this opportunity to bring America together. America together. I want MAGA people to vote for me. I want Democrats to vote for me. You know, he was like doing this. We're all in this together in this dance contest. Then, when the world saw what a lousy dancer he was, and it looked like he was going to get bounced, he started making a raw appeal to MAGA. I was like, "What? You're changing the rules in the middle? Oh, there's a." classic MAGA move. Remember that day he said, MAGA, you got to vote for me. You don't want the, this is a big win for MAGA. I didn't didn't watch it. That's what he did. Yeah. Oh my Lord. I don't know how it worked because I can't remember if he won or not. I I forgot that part of the story, but it helped his career. Now he's a a news guy, commentator, commentator. So he's, he's, he's coming. He said, I know who leaked it. I suspect it was Katanji Brown Jackson, one of her clerks, because Katanji Brown Jackson is a radical left-wing activist. Katanji Brown Jackson, of course, is the recent uh, nominee of Biden who was uh, approved. But she hasn't been officially sworn in yet. She's not even there yet. He's accusing her. And here's the thing. Him, him putting that out on Newsmax, MAGA's like, yeah. They're nodding their head. Yeah, you're never going to change anyone's mind. You could have proof that it was a right winger, some right wing clerk to Alito or Thomas that leaked it. You could have proof that it was Clarence Thomas himself. You could have like a videotape of Clarence Thomas calling up Politico going, here's this order, this ruling or the draft of this decision. Here, run it. MAGA won't believe it. They're going to go, oh, no, it has to be Katanji Brown Jack. She wasn't even in the court. She's not even on the court. Well, it's got to be her. <laughs> just put that out. They're so good at just putting stuff out there. Just put it out. Open your mind. We're going to put this in. And we reserve the right at another time to open up your mind and take it out. Put stuff in, take stuff out. Whatever works for us. Now, I personally see now there's a lot of lefties out there. They always have this knee jerk response. Well, that's not important. Oh, by the way, my uh, guest, Elia Ramirez, is uh, calling me. I love it when my guests call me when I'm in the air. Uh, she wants her link. You'll get your link, Delia. We'll bring you on. Yeah, I sent it. It was probably sent already. Uh, yes, it was sent already. Uh, anyway. So uh, the problem, my opinion, there's probably a greater likelihood that it was a right wing clerk. And I and and listen, I admit this. My lefty friends would criticize me going back to that. That you shouldn't be concentrating on who leaked it, Ben. It's far more important what the ruling says. Yes, of course, duh. But I do believe it's relevant to know who leaked it. I am curious who leaked it. Like to know what the political reasoning was their strategy why they did it yes i'm interested in that sorry (laughs) sorry lefty purists i am interested in that and right now i leaning toward a right winger uh, leaked it i don't know that for certain but i'm leaning and i'll tell you why it just seems to make sense from their political perspective they got five votes right now on the supremes to approve the uh, eradication of Roe. And so they want to make sure they got those votes locked in. And so right now, with the uh, the draft having been released, there's a great outcry. It's going to be really hard for one of those five to back off in the face of this outcry, you know, without looking as though they're political animals. So it kind of locks them in. That's one theory that's out there, and I kind of buy into that. And by the way, that's a total MAGA move. It's a total Republican move <laughs> to leak the thing. It's just saying. It seems like more of a Republican thing than a Democratic thing, because Republicans play the game hard. Democrats are kind of like run around. They, they play the game like they want to lose weight or something. Republicans play to win. You know, Democrats are running around. I got good exercise today. Republicans don't care about that. They're like throwing elbows and stuff. So I, I my right now, right now I'm betting on uh, a Republican leaking it, but it's brilliant. Republicans probably leaked it 
to get some kind of political advantage to make sure that none of these Supreme Court justices back off. And yet they're acting as though they're outraged that it was leaked and they're putting out the message that Democrats somehow are leaked it. They play it both ways. Those Republicans. That's why they are so good at the game of politics. All right. Delia Ramirez has joined us. I said she would, and she did. And uh, Delia, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Ben. Great being back on the show. All right. Are you drinking that tea and honey like I told you to? No, I'm drinking coffee because I got to get through the next 10 hours and I'm really tired. All right. Well, <laughs> the reason why she's really tired is because Delia Ramirez is running for Congress uh, and it is a battle. The uh, primary is officially uh, June 28th. I did that off the top of my head. She's running against uh, Alderman Gilbert Viegas. Uh, Chicago Alderman. Delia is a state rep from the northwest side of Chicago. And it's sort of like a real power struggle uh, in the Democratic Party. Which direction is the Democratic Party going? And uh, Delia Ramirez, good friend of the show, has been on many times, Is comes from what I would call the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. I would call it actually the lefty wing, but I, Delia, you probably call it the progressive wing. Uh, and, uh, Vegas comes from sort of the centrist wing of the democratic party, sort of like the Rahm Emanuel wing of the democratic party. So this is like a real spirited battle, uh, for the soul of the democratic party. That's how I view it. Uh, Delia, do you agree with my assessment of it? I couldn't say it more perfectly. That's exactly it. It's a primary election and voters will get to choose what kind of Democrat they want to represent them. All right. Uh, so, well, why don't you uh, tell them a little bit about who you are so they have a sense of what kind of Democrat you are. Uh, give a little bit about your background. So I was born and raised here in Chicago in Humble Park. Uh, still live on the same block because when I became really independent from my parents, I moved two houses down. So uh, proudly live in the Humble Park community uh, since the age of seven. And went to Chicago public schools. I'm the daughter of two Guatemalan immigrants who came into the late 70s and early 80s and worked the minimum wage jobs, factory jobs, and worked in the community um, in the afternoon shifts. And they both figured out how to split their time to make sure that there was always someone with my with myself and my, my siblings. I'm the firstborn. I started working at a local community shelter at 17 became the executive director at 21 and spent a long time running a social service agency and really seeing the way that local politics impact your ability to even help shelter people and move people into permanent housing. I went ahead and went and wanted to do work on campaign finance. I saw how a local alderman took a project, a building that could have gone to build supportive housing for families. And he awarded this building to for-profit developers that finance his runoff election. So I, in my early 30s, decided to work for Common Cause Illinois, uh, working on a campaign finance uh, campaign and also automatic voter registration. And then while being the deputy director of an interface social justice agency, I was recruited by about 25 community people that I had worked with at Logan Square Neighborhood Association or people that I had served with on boards. I had ran a couple of local community boards and people that worked with me or that I had helped house in the early 2000s to run for state rep. And so I did and won in a four-way race with a 28% margin. And I said then, if I'm going to do this, I need to know that the community will be with me the day after the election. Because campaigning is one thing, Ben. Governing is very different. What are some of the similarities between a state rep from a progressive district on the northwest side of Chicago dealing with Republicans in the state house, and what it will be like being a congresswoman uh, dealing with Republicans in the U.S. Congress? It's a little different. In Illinois, we're in a majority, right? So, um, you know, all Democrats are not the same. We have our spectrum from extremely moderate some would call borderline Republicans to extremely left uh, progressive Democrats. And it will certainly look different, especially as we're all projecting that we may lose the House. But more than ever, you need progressives. You need people that understand how to organize and how to work across the aisle to move on issues like housing, uh, to move on issues like health care or economic development. 
I've passed legislation on those three categories with bipartisan support um, because you know, you roll up your sleeves to start doing some of this work, you realize that people in downstate Illinois need good paying jobs the way that people in Logan Square want good paying jobs. And fully funding our, our schools is a priority, not just for one, it's for the other. But certainly it won't be exactly the same. What I do know is that I'm the only candidate in this election that has any experience legislating and certainly in bipartisan manner. Yeah. Uh any experience legislating with uh, Republicans. Uh, 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 ordinances are a little different <laughs> than filing legislation that impacts the entire state, than having to negotiate, bring into committee, file amendments. It's a very different thing from city council. And then the other thing to your point is that, you know, I, my opponent said at a debate last week, when I said that I was the only one uh, with experience working in bipartisanship, he said, well, there, there's one Republican in city council. First of all, <laughs> 50 members, one isn't really a good way to show it. But number two, um, you know, municipalities and, and city councils are not partisan. Yeah. They're nonpartisan. So it's very different. <clears throat> Yeah. Uh, by the way, there are uh, there's probably a few closet Republicans in the Chicago City Council. Uh, four or five at least. Yeah, at least my good friend Raylo down there in the 15th Ward in Southwest Side. I see you, Raylo. Uh, I think every now and then he pulls that Republican ballot, even though he vehemently denies whenever he comes on the show that he voted for Donald Trump. Uh, <laughs> I love teasing about that. And Nick Spazzato, who is technically a Democrat uh, from the Northwest Side, uh, actually came on the show and admitted. Uh, that he voted for Donald Trump. So, yes, uh, there's sort of like hiding in the shadow type Republicans. All right, let's not beat around the bush. Uh, the issue of the day, the issue that uh, people are talking about, the issue that is has uh, just like turned this, uh, electrified the election season and turned everything upside down, Delia, uh, is abortion rights, reproductive rights, uh, the the, uh, the leaking of the draft mm -hmm. of a ruling. I've already talked about it at great length in this show yesterday and earlier before you came on. Uh, that shows the Supremes are ready to blow up Roe uh, and leave every state for itself to determine whether it's going to uh, uh, allow abortion or outlaw it um, is going to be the defining issue, uh, in, in my humble opinion, coming into uh, the November elections. So uh, people need to hear it from you. What is your position on reproductive rights? My position is I am unapologetic about my commitment and my unwavering fight to protect reproductive health in Illinois and across the country. I am the only candidate in this election whose rights are being threatened to be taken away. I'm the only one with a uterus, Ben. And for me, when I've talked about abortion rights and how it connects to healthcare, I always connected to also what it means, particularly um, for poor black and brown women and, and transgender people. I mean, this is a attack on the poorest, on all of us, but certainly on the poorest in our country. And it's about healthcare and it's about ability to be able to, as one of my colleagues said to me, you know, when you're denying us the right to make a choice over our body, not no one else's body, but our body, you are telling me that you're also denying my economic independence. I can't have that. I can't have my own economic independence. I can't make a choice on what I do with my body. You might as well tell me that I am a slave to white men. And was this a position that uh, Adele sort of evolved into or from the, the first time you thought about it, was this how you saw the world? This is how you saw this issue. Look, Ben, I, I grew up in a in a conservative household. You know, my parents are Guatemalan. For those of you that know Central America, um, missionaries have been going there uh, for hundreds of years. And certainly the last 50 years has become even more evangelical. And I saw the challenges uh, for me. You know, now we're going to get really personal. I really struggled um, as I was becoming a young, uh, you know, younger person and, and going through my periods, having some of the most severe 
symptoms as a result of that. And I remember going to the doctor with my mom and, and, and my mom asking, so what could we do? Um, she's literally falling in school on her first day. Uh, she's in excruciating pain. And the gynecologist said to my mom, it must have been 11 or 12, you know, you should put her on birth control. It'll regulate her. And, and I remember sitting there and knowing that I had no choice in what my mother would decide with that doctor, which my mother's response was absolutely not. I can't let her do that uh, for two reasons. One, you're promoting her um, to be promiscuous. And number two, it may get in the way of fertility in the future. My mother had no education around the issues. This is what her mother was told when she was denied access to abortions in Guatemala. And that's what her great grandmother was told when she had 15 children. So I think about this, Ben, and how personal it is for me. And even just access to birth control at the age of 12, for whatever reason. Now, I'm also a survivor of sex abuse. For whatever reason, I did not have access to that. And in part, my parents did not have the education around it, but I had no freedom for myself. So I know what that's like at 12. I don't want anyone else to have to live in that fear. And thankfully here in Illinois, we've codified Roe versus Wade to make it legal. But that's going to be the case as long as we have a majority also in Illinois. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for sharing that. Uh, so when did it change in your mind? When did you, you obviously were under um, the influence of your mom. I mean, you were a kid and, you know, when I was a kid, pretty much my mom's word was the law. Uh, I never had to deal with an issue like that one, but many other issues. Uh, so when did you just have that moment or maybe it wasn't a moment to talk about the process where you came to realize that maybe the world wasn't the way you'd been taught. But I, I, I knew it then and, and I couldn't, I didn't have the terms for it. I certainly didn't know how to name it right directly. Uh, I had not grown up in a home or around people uh, who, who talked about, Right, reproductive health and how that was my liberating, um, you know, the decision. But I, I grew up also working, maybe not working, but volunteering with my mom at the local shelter that my church started. And I had an opportunity that, you know, I always talk about how my mom used to go and help prepare a meal for about a hundred people per day at dinner. I don't know what it was, but. I was, I still this day, I don't know how to cook, but I wasn't interested in being behind the window giving a meal. I wanted to know the people that were coming in and hungry. So I sat there and I talked to young women. I talked to older women. I talked to men about everyday things and the challenges for them in not feeling, even though they had we had legal abortions here in Illinois, how some of them because of the cultural experience had been denied that. And, and the liberating moment for those that knew they had those rights. And, you know, maybe then in the late eighties and early nineties was define their parents, um, but knew that this was the only way they'd get out of poverty. That, that having a child being abused and having to give birth, that adoption was not going to be a possibility for them, but also, why should I have to live for nine months with a reminder of what happened to me? Those conversations for me were transforming, Ben. It's why I've been in this work my entire life. I've seen personally how it impacts us, right? Particularly talking about women's rights, reproductive rights, rights for the LGBTQ community. I've seen it front and center. And why I think it's so important that in this moment, we send people that can speak to it personally and will fight like how to protect it. Speaking to it personally, uh, that's a very important point. Uh, the Republicans, MAGA, they're getting extreme in their rhetoric. I've been following this for a long time, Delia. I've had guests on. We've talked about it. Uh, there was a, there's a state rep or state senator, I can't remember which one, from Ohio which is in the process of, pa of passing some really restrictive uh, anti-abortion legislation. Uh, and she was asked about w w the case of a 13-year-old who's raped and impregnated. 
Uh, and her response was, uh, that 13 year old should have, be, should be forced to uh, carry the child to birth, uh, and should look on the positive side. So this is really extreme. I, I, I read that and I'm like the positive side of being raped at age 13. This is some kind of really twisted. I don't even, I can't call it logic, Della, cause it's not logic. It's just twisted hate. And so are you prepared to go to Congress? Because right now the predictions are that you will be in the minority party and Republicans like Marjorie Taylor Greene will be advancing legislation like this legislation in Ohio and in Mississippi and in Texas. And they're going to be coming at you with this outrageous rhetoric. Are you prepared to stand up to him and stand your ground? Uh, ben, without a doubt, because this is about my nieces. This is about my little sister. This is about my community and all our communities. Look, I don't talk about it often, but I was abused when I was seven or eight. And I got an early period. Can you imagine if I would have gotten pregnant, what that would have looked like? It took me 20 years to heal from that. We need people who are unapologetic and won't, you know, this is a problem. We have a lot of people who call themselves something because a poll told them that that's what they had to be. And in this race, you're going to see a lot of imitation. All of a sudden, people are going to talk about working class. All of a sudden, they're going to talk about fighting for abortion rights when they're now funding anti-choice clinics. We don't need people that flip-flop depending on what's popular. We need people who are going to fight like hell and make sure we don't go back. That the rights that I had in my early 20s, that my niece who's two months old are guaranteed when she turns 20. And this is the thing with me. I talk about being rooted in the district. I am. I, we've talked about me being ready to fight in Congress. I am. I have results. In 2019, before we were talking about it in the way we are right now, I stood with 40 women in the Illinois House of Representatives, and we fought, we organized, we sat at a table, this big dining room table, we took the roll call sheet, and we knew that if we couldn't get 65 members, Democrats, this was Democrats, to commit and co-sponsor the Reproductive Health Act bill, that it would not pass at the end of 2019. And trust me, it would have been hard to pass it last year, and it would have been still harder to pass it right now, given the climate. We fought like hell, and I stood there, and I said, well, this is my seat, mate. I'll talk to this person. Let's organize this way. We organized, and we forced the leadership, forced the leadership in 2019 to call the bill we were ready to take a walk on every piece of legislation between May 19th and May 31st until we passed that bill. I helped make that happen. And just a few months ago, we were able to also pass the removing, the repealing of parental notification here in Illinois so that you don't have to go tell your parents at 16 or at 17 after you've been raped or something happened to you or because you, you are not prepared to have this life that you won't have to go and disclose to your parents. I knew what that would mean to immigrant young women like my little sister who crossed the border at 12. I also knew that someone was following me to my car and that my staff were nervous for my own life for the number of death threats that I took here in Illinois for being a co-sponsor standing up. You need that kind of leadership that will never waver. That's who I'm going to be when I go to Congress. It's my uterus. And I just want to uh, make sure I'm understanding something. When you were part of that uh, uh, group of Democratic women uh, that forced leadership uh, to bring the bill to the floor, was the leadership at that time a certain Michael Joseph Madigan? That was a speaker in 2019. Yes. So that was the person you had to force. So I think you should say that with pride. We forced a Catholic speaker to have to call the bill that he had held off for years of calling, call it in committee, call it on the floor. 
we did that. And not just any speaker, but the speaker. <laughs> Michael Joseph Madigan is no joke, you know. And, yeah, he played a game. I don't want to relitigate the tire Michael Madigan and the abortion stuff, but, man, did he play games with abortion down through the years? Uh, and, uh, he, you know, uh, women like yourself and Kelly Cassidy pushed him over time, uh, you know, to um, – be a little more uh, pro-choice, but it took uh, time uh, to do that. Uh, yes, sir. Now let's talk parental notification. I absolutely think that requiring uh, a young woman who's pregnant to get her parents to sign off is one of the dumbest ideas I've ever heard. And I say this as a father of young women. And they go, Ben, what if your daughter's got an abortion and you didn't know? Well, I wasn't there when they got pregnant. Okay. I, I, <laughs> I, that's not my decision. It wasn't, do you understand what I'm saying, Ellie? It wasn't my decision for, and it's not any parent's decision for his or her kid to get pregnant. And, they're not, the parent's not going to live with the ramifications. It's not going to be the parent's body. So I've always thought it was utterly absurd that parental notification uh, is it, it, turned into this big crusade. But they're going to come after you, Delia, yeah. when you go to Congress on this issue. Yeah. And uh, if you beat Viegas and you're the Democratic nominee, the Republicans are going to come after you on this issue. They're going to go, she took away parental notification. And uh, you're going to stand strong in that? I will always remain strong. You should always look to see who someone has been before they ran for office, because that will be telling who they're going to be when they are in higher office. I'm ready for it. I've always been ready for it. I'm the daughter of Maria Elvira Ramirez a woman who crossed the border in her first trimester pregnant of me, who sacrificed and risked everything so that her child can be born in this country, so that her child can serve this community, this state. All right. Uh, as much as I want to continue talking about abortion, let's uh, move past it for the moment. I'll probably bring you back and talk about it again, because I do believe it's just a, such a fundamental liberty uh, and I also believe we had Kelly Cassie in the show uh, yesterday, Delia, that this is the first, just this is the first move. Yep, that is. That's right. Next is same sex marriage, marriage equality. The other one that we have to be very clear next will be taking away citizenship rights for children of immigrant parents. Right. Um and the list goes on and on and on. And this is why I tell people this, if you, if man or woman, you know, or non-binary, this is about our livelihood as Americans for the next 10, 15 years. And we should treat it as such. And Ben, this is a place where I will tell you, we need people in Congress who will fight like hell and have a proven record of passing Comprehensive legislation around these issues. Illinois is a haven in the Midwest for anyone needing an abortion. I help pass that. And I'm taking that work to Congress. I'm ready to do so. All right. Uh, let's talk about a union issue. It's very near and dear to my heart. My show is sponsored by unions. I'm a member of a union. I believe in fundamental, uh, the significance of unions uh, to eradicating social inequity and uh, just protecting workers. So my question to you is this. Are you going to go to Congress and stand up for unions and promote legislation uh, that uh, will take away some of the obstacles uh, employees face when they want to unionize? Or are you going to be one of those wishy-washy, moderate, uh, Rahm Emanuel-type uh, <laughs> finger in the air, which way is the wind blowing Democrats on the, on the issue of collective bargaining? Just like I have a 100% record with Planned Parenthood, I have a 100% record with labor here in Illinois. I can't get better than that, I've asked. <laughs> but it's only 17 of us, only 17 Democrats 
currently here have a 100% lifetime record with labor. I am one of those. I'm the daughter of a man who worked at an industrialized bakery for almost 40 years, Ben. My father gave his life to this company in Oak Forest. They union busted and they were successful. My father, when he had to retire, when he got kidney cancer and couldn't work at the assembly line at the minimum wage that he was making, instead of giving him retirement benefits and instead of giving him a pension, instead of giving him some time off, some big celebration, he got a frozen pie. I understand that there is no way that you can retire with dignity if we don't put center, front and center, the ability to collective bargaining and union jobs. That is how we get to the middle class. And I see the difference between my father and my brother, who is a proud member of AFSME. My brother has been collecting on his pension. My brother can retire at 61 years of age. My father's in his 70s and still worried about his Medicare supplemental. I will support and be a co-sponsor of the PRO Act bill. And everything I do, I'm going to center it around workers. Because if we want our communities to thrive, we need economic stability by increasing worker conditions and good paying jobs. And you're going to watch when you get to Congress, the same uh, Republicans who are going to say to you, uh, we have to uh, take away uh, women's uh, right uh, to control their bodies by outlawing abortion are going to flip-flop when it comes uh, to unions and say, well, we believe in the freedom of individual workers not to belong to a union. Man, they love liberty when it's getting the boss more, putting more money in the boss's pocket and hate liberty uh, when it benefits a woman. They are a trip. That well, look, I'm not taking any corporate money no corporate PAC contributions. And that means I have to work twice as hard and I'm fine with that. I will not be bought by a corporation. I won't have any of them think that they have any influence over me. My only job, my full-time job is to represent the people in this district and it's personal for me. So it's representing my parents as well. All right. Uh, before we go, why don't I should have done this earlier. I was negligent. I apologize to all my listeners. Uh, just tell folks a little about where the district is. It's a new district. First time. There's no incumbent. Uh, you and Bayegas are running to be the first. So uh, just explain uh, where the district is. So listeners, maybe some of them will go, oh, you know. Yes, it's funny. I'll just go on this little tangent. Mo a lot of voters, they know they don't know the number of the district they're in, you know, or they all award, right. but they know their alderman or their congressman or the congresswoman. You know, Shikowski. Shikowski's my congresswoman. You know what I'm saying? Or you know, uh, you know, <laughs> Carlos Ramirez Rosa is my alderman, or Nick Spazato's my alderman. So uh, why don't you tell folks mm -hmm. uh, where this district is roughly? Go ahead. So the district starts in Logan Square. So possibly Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa or Alderwoman uh, Rodriguez Sanchez is your Alderwoman or La Spada could be any other three. Uh, so it starts in Logan Square, goes up to Albany Park, and then it just keeps going west into Humble Park, Baman Cragen, a little bit of Dunning, um, a little bit of Montclair, and then into the suburbs, a little bit of Rosemont, a little bit of Des Plaines, Bensonville, Addison, Carroll Stream, a little of Wheaton, a good chunk of Wheaton, actually, some of Glen Allen, all the way to Elgin and West Chicago. This is a district that is diverse in geography, racially, politically, and socioeconomically. And, uh, of course, as I said, it's uh, there's no incumbent. Uh, and so who are some of the groups that have endorsed you already, or the politicians who have endorsed you already, so people could see like who's like a like-minded uh, to you? So first, let me tell you that the Working Families Party, the National Working Families Party endorsed me early. So they were one of the first to come on board. Um, Congresswoman Pramila Jepal, who runs the Progressive Caucus, has endorsed me, came front and center, and also made sure that um, the Medicare for All um, PAC support me. Um, and so they are with me. Um, Senator Elizabeth Warren is, has also endorsed Congressman um, Garcia, Shakowski, Underwood, uh, Alderman Ramirez Rosa, Rosana Rodriguez Sanchez, Alderman Espada, Representative Gazzardi, Senator Pachuni Zaya, Senator Aquino, Martwick, Villa Valam, Senator Karina Villa in the most western part of the district, 
Representative Hirschhauer. We have about 50 who have endorsed the campaign in a number of national PACs like Emily's List, Poder PAC, um, and Citizens United and Indivisible um, all have endorsed me uh, because they know that there's an opportunity to, yes, elect the first Latina from the entire Midwest. Latinas have never seen someone that looks like me representing them, not in Ohio, not in Illinois, not in Wisconsin, not in Michigan or Minnesota. But it's also an opportunity to send someone with a proven record on health care, on voting rights, on campaign finance reform, on housing, on elected school board, um, on education, expanding health care coverage uh, to seniors regardless of legal status, as I did in 2020 and again this year. There's an opportunity to send someone that's not going to be bought by these corporations. I've never been a lobbyist to ComEd, as my opponent has. I'm not taking money from the same companies that continue to harm our communities, the fossil fuel companies. And I certainly won't go supporting anti-choice clinics like my opponent. So people have a choice. What kind of Democrat in this brand new district can represent them? An unapologetic fighter whose life's work has been in the community? or a pay-to-play politics elected official whose political mentor, Louis Arroyo, will be going to prison on corruption and bribery in the next few months. You choose. All right, very good. Delia Ramirez, thank you so much for taking time to come on the show. Uh, And uh, best of luck to you, all right? Thanks, Ben. All right, that's Delia Ramirez. Uh, She's running for Congress. Be the first Latina uh, congresswoman in the state of Illinois. How about that? If she's victorious. And Midwest. Uh, say that again. In the entire Midwest. In, in the entire Midwest. All right. Very good. All right. Thank you very much, Deli. I appreciate you taking the time. Also want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom the show would be possible. And it's Delia. We'll tell you. Back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D, and the D stands for Demarvelous. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.